Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is receiving pressure from environmental activists to sign legislation that would impose a two-year moratorium on a type of crypto mining that uses large amounts of energy to make bitcoins. But as the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, the Democrat is not tipping her hand on whether she'll sign or veto the measure. The state legislature approved the bill in June. It would put a two-year hold on the state issuing air permits to companies who want to buy up old fossil fuel plants and convert them to what's known as proof-of-work crypto mining. The process uses large amounts of energy to power computers to solve complex equations to mine the bitcoins. Under the legislation, the state's Department of Environmental Conservation would use the two-year pause to conduct a study into the environmental impacts of the industry. Groups, including the Sierra Club and Earth Justice, staged a demonstration outside Governor Hochul's New York City offices, asking her to immediately sign the bill. Earth Justice's Liz Moran says the energy-intensive process hampers the state's ability to meet carbon emission reduction goals designed to fight climate change. There should be no hesitancy from Governor Hochul to sign this legislation to law. It aligns so well with the actions that the state has already rightly been taking. Hochul was asked about the crypto mining moratorium shortly after winning election to a full term as governor earlier this month. She says the measure is one of hundreds of bills that she will review and act on in the coming weeks. People wonder where I am. You don't see me out there. Find me behind my desk, surrounded by my team, reading hundreds and hundreds of pages of bills. And so we have a couple of weeks. I will give, I'll give this one prediction. The law will be known and settled by midnight, December 31st. The Bitcoin industry is against the moratorium, saying it would prevent New York from creating more jobs in the industry. Hochul's campaign was endorsed by a union that represents workers associated with the plants. Hochul's Department of Environmental Conservation has taken some steps, though, to stall the burgeoning industry. On June 30th, the DEC denied the renewal of an air emission permit for the Greenwich Power Plant on Seneca Lake in the Finger Lakes. The company converted an old coal-burning plant to natural gas and in recent years has used the plant's power to fuel proof-of-work Bitcoin mining. The agency cited the dramatic increase in greenhouse gas emissions from the facility as one of the reasons to deny the permit. Some residents have long complained that the crypto mining plant is incompatible with the wine and related tourism businesses that have flourished in the region. Joseph Campbell is with Seneca Lake Guardian, a group that's trying to protect the lake and lobbied for the moratorium. New York's wine industry generates $2.4 billion in taxes for New York and $6.65 billion in direct economic activity. The wine and agritourism industry in the, in the Finger Lakes alone employs 60,000 people and brings in $3 billion for New York State. Greenwich's operations threaten all of that. 
and they only employ at most 48 people. The group is also concerned about a former coal burning plant in Tonawanda near Buffalo that could become a second Bitcoin mining facility if there's no moratorium. The Bitcoin industry's profits have declined steeply in recent months. According to Greenwich's third quarter report, the company lost almost $30 million compared to the same time period last year. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok this week spoke with Sochi Nemica, state director of the Working Families Party in New York. He begins by asking Sochi to tell listeners about the Working Families Party. Well, the Working Families Party is a grassroots multiracial progressive party uh, in New York State, founded in 1998, um, you know, with the interest and intent to shift the the state in a more pro-democracy, equity-driven direction. And so we started that by first trying to flip seats red to blue and really focused on delivering majorities in the state Senate and the Assembly. And as we've become a triple blue state, we're working to ensure that the Democrats who show up in Albany and and in Washington, D.C. are working families Democrats. They're Democrats who are aligned with the people's interests, not the interests of the wealthy few. Uh, And we do that through organizing, through endorsing and running strong working families candidates up and down the state and try to deliver a legislative agenda that ensures that everyone in the state can live with dignity and thrive. So, Sochi, it sounds to me like you're sort of Democrats, but you're working families. What's the difference? Well, we're aligned with the Democratic Party, in particular here in New York State, um, where the most active contests happen in the primary, and it's in our intent uh, and our goal to ensure that the most progressive candidate comes out of the primary and then therefore goes to lead uh, in Albany uh, or in Washington, D.C. I think as we're seeing the extremism and the divisiveness of the Republican Party, uh, there's no question Democrats are better served to lead in our state. And so we're working both inside and outside the Democratic Party to ensure that their agenda reflects where the people are. Um, But we believe that we need a separate vehicle because there are real structural deficits and impediments in the big tent of the Democratic Party that goes all the way from, you know, fossil fuel companies to, you know, young people. And so we do believe that people deserve a party in which their values are not disconnected from the path to win. So who are you? Who is Sochi? And how did she get to be the head of this operation? Well, I'm a born and raised New Yorker. My parents are Nigerian immigrants who came in the 70s and 80s. Um, raised us in the Bronx and then Westchester County. Um, I'm a longtime organizer. I you know, went to university and got really swept up in the labor movement. Uh, cafeteria and custodial workers at my university were an active 
labor force, and I learned how to organize through knocking on doors, through house visits, uh, through sitting in packed churches with people collectively trying to create a vision for a world that works for all of us. I then went and organized casino workers. I did, you know, elections in Connecticut from Senator Chris Murphy's election to Mayor Tony Harp's election. Um, and I went to law school to, to learn how labor law could really em- empower and embolden working people. Um, I was proud to be able to come to back to my home state where I'm raising my almost six-year-old and really build a political home that I did not have uh, growing up where people like me were, you know, children of immigrants or new immigrants or young people or black women are not the first doors that get knocked on generally in elections, are not the voters that are the most chased after for our involvement. I want to build um, a political party that was seeking to level the playing field and to you know reinvigorate our politics here in New York. I've been doing this for three years, and it's pretty fun. What makes you angry? There are, there are things. I mean, I think exploitation, absolutely exploitation. I think racial division, which also breeds on exploitation. And what we're seeing in particular during, during the pandemic, the rabid profiteering that we saw of corporations who are really doing quite well uh, on the backs of working people, whether it's Amazon, um, whose service became essential during the pandemic, but whose workforce was completely shunted and uninvested in, uh, whether it's the fact that uh, street vendors or um, undocumented workers helped move us through the pandemic and then were left out of relief until the excluded workers fund. whether it's home health aides uh, who are taking care of our workforce and and fundamentally are not invested in. So the exploitation that we see in our economic and political system that we're really trying to address, I think, keeps me going because we know it does not have to be this way. So can we count on the Working Families Party developing into something that more than it even is now? Oh, I think we are really at a point and a place where it's clear how important and needed our party is and that we only can grow uh, from here, right? I think that, you know, when I started this organization, I really want to ensure when I started in this role that we were really invested in building the grassroots, right? That our party was felt and seen in all corners of the state and that everyday people know how to plug into our party. And so with our organizers, we've built, you know, 15 chapters since, um, you know, since January 2020 from, Ithaca and Syracuse, you know, down to Queens, uh, where people come together and do politics and do endorsements together. I think that's one big thing. Um, The next thing we want to do is really to have a legislative agenda that was clearly connected to the desires and vision of our community and our members and and to go out with bold proposals, right? In the moment of the pandemic, we're really pushing to tax the rich to invest in the public good. You know, that was it's a boldly popular idea across the state. A majority of New Yorkers believe that we should make sure that the wealthy pay what they owe in taxes to invest in the public good. And so we set off to really lead a big campaign with our partners called Invest in Our New York that delivered record wins in New York State. And in this moment, we want to ensure that the Working Families Party helps put out an agenda that meets voters where they are and ensure that they know that government has their back. Uh, And so working with our partners in the legislature, um, that is our goal. Our goal is also to do a lot of base building in cities up and down the state 
um, Syracuse, Utica, uh, obviously New York City, Kingston, and really connect and, and toss out this false sense of this upstate, downstate divide, but really talk about shared ideals and shared goals. That's Sochi Nemica, state director of the Working Families Party in New York, speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Alan Shartok. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustino. A coalition of horse racing industry leaders in New York is asking state government to approve borrowing to overhaul Belmont Park on Long Island. They say the improvements there will buoy the racing industry across the state. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard with more. The New York Racing Association, which operates racetracks at Belmont, Aqueduct, and Saratoga, wants to build a new grandstand and clubhouse at Belmont Park on Long Island near New York City. A reconstruction of its racetracks is also planned, as well as the possibility of building a synthetic track. The current grandstands are more than 50 years old at the home of the third leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes. Naira spokesman Jeff Canizzo spoke at the state capitol in Albany. Here's the vision. No taxpayer dollars on the line, a state asset dramatically improved, and a world-class venue side-by-side with UBS Arena. A strength in sport, sustaining thousands of jobs across the state. The plan is for Naira to borrow $455 million to be paid over 30 years. Debt service would be paid through revenue from VLT gambling facilities that's dedicated to capital projects, which Canizzo says would not affect municipalities that host the sites from receiving a portion of the funding. Naira is part of an industry group formed last year called We Are NY Horse Racing that also includes the Saratoga County Chamber of Commerce, New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association, and New York Thoroughbred Breeders. The Business Council of New York State is also now on board. Heather Mulligan is president and CEO of the Business Council. It's important that you have a broad-based coalition. Um, We joined it because of the obvious economic impact. Mulligan said more than 19,000 New Yorkers are directly employed by the horse racing industry. With 2023 state budget preparations underway, the coalition is pushing the state to authorize Naira's bonding for the project. We Are NY Horse Racing says the upgrades at Belmont will secure the future of horse racing in New York, including at Saratoga Racecourse. Officials say the summer meet at the spa alone generates $240 million in year-round economic activity in the capital region. Todd Chimkus, president of the Saratoga County Chamber, called the racing industry a statewide ecosystem anchored by Saratoga and Belmont. He's hopeful for the major renovations at Belmont under Governor Kathy Hochul, who was just elected to a full term. At the end of the day, modernizing Belmont Park is not solely a downstate priority. It's a statewide priority, and it's important to Saratoga. I will, I will say it's been wonderful that our governor has been to Saratoga on a regular basis since almost the first day she took office. Having that support is incredible, and we certainly look forward to working with her to make this priority happen. This fall, construction at Belmont is building vehicular and pedestrian tunnels, which moved the 2022 fall meet to Aqueduct. 
If plans move forward, Naira says a modernized Belmont can bring the Breeders' Cup back to New York after two decades. The Breeders' Cup is the sport's annual year-end two-day championship, and it rotates to a different track each year. Again, Canizzo. In a recent letter, the Breeders' Cup themselves committed to returning to New York if we are successful in modernizing Belmont Park. The letter literally wrote, if you build it, we will come. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. The New York Farm Bureau says the price of a traditional Thanksgiving dinner is taking a double-digit price jump from last year's meal, and local charities are gearing up to feed thousands in need. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with the latest. As Thanksgiving approaches, everyone feels the pinch of inflation. The Farm Bureau's Steve Ammerman says everything surveyed, including the traditional side dishes, went up across the board except for cranberries. We weren't, you know, too surprised to see such a, an increased inflationary pressures that all consumers are dealing with. The consumer price index has had food up about 12% over this year, so we expected a big increase. Um, overall, the classic items found on a holiday dinner table would cost New Yorkers around $66. Um, it is about a 26% increase, but a bulk of that increase is from the increase in turkey prices, which they're around $1.89 a pound, according to our shoppers about 43 cents per pound over last year's average price in our survey. Ammerman says volunteer shoppers sampled prices at more than a dozen different supermarkets throughout the state between October 18th and 30th, trying to get the best prices available, working from a list of 15 staples ranging from turkey and rolls to stuffing and celery to pumpkin pie mix, enough to feed 10 people around the dinner table. Ammerman notes shoppers shouldn't have any difficulty finding turkeys in the store. Look around at, at different stores and, and compare prices. Um, as it gets closer to Thanksgiving, stores may be dropping prices to try and, and lure more, more shoppers in. So I think that's one thing to, to be um, aware of. You know, there were concerns that there might not be turkey enough turkeys to go around this Thanksgiving. Overall, turkey supply is down about 2%. Um, part of that is due to the avian influenza that hit some turkey farms um, in certain parts of, of the country. Um, but overall, the supply is steady, and there will be turkeys in the grocery store. They're just going to be a little bit more expensive, in, in part because of the lower supply. Capital Region residents by the thousands have taken part in the annual Equinox Thanksgiving Day Community Dinner since 1969. Equinox Senior Director of Administrative Services, Christina Rajat, says meals will be delivered to seniors, people with disabilities, the homebound, unhoused, food insecure, just about anyone in any difficult circumstance. Equinox is very excited to be uh, in its 53rd year of the annual Thanksgiving community dinner. Uh, this year, the dinner will repeat what we've done the past couple of years as we responded to COVID. So instead of gathering thousands of volunteers down at the Empire State Plaza, as we typically have, uh, we decided to keep everyone safe. And we are working once again this year with various restaurant and catering partners to prepare the meals safely and working with hundreds of volunteer drivers that will deliver the meals to the individuals that request them and do, you know, safe deliveries, contactless deliveries if, if need be. Rajat says Equinox is taking calls now through its Thanksgiving hotline. So people can call 518-434-0131. 
they will get most likely a, a voicemail. But don't worry, please leave a message. We will have our volunteers get back to you. Uh, they're extremely busy, so they're, you know, have to catch up and make sure everyone that needs a meal will get one. We do request that meal requests um, are given by this Friday, uh, November 18th, which is tomorrow, uh, just because we want to make sure that we have all the numbers to the restaurants as they begin to prep thousands of meals. Rajat says Equinox served over 10,000 meals last Thanksgiving and plans to top 11,000 this year. For residents in need looking to prepare their own holiday feast, the third annual Big Give Back will be held Sunday from 1 to 3 at the Albany County Board of Elections building on South Pearl Street in Albany's South End. William Tragedy Yeager says 1,000 frozen turkeys and 5,000 sides, five with each turkey, will be handed out. We're expecting at least 25 to 35 volunteers. We're packing the boxes ourselves this year. So it's going to be a different ordeal. So we'll be in the parking lot earlier, but we're not going to start giving the turkeys away until 1 o'clock. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The Plattsburgh, New York region has a military history dating back to the beginning of the country. The town and veterans groups announced last week that construction will soon begin on a memorial project to commemorate soldiers who fought in the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, and beyond. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. The Battlefield Memorial Gateway Park is planned on the shore of Lake Champlain on former Plattsburgh Air Force Base property. The site is directly across from Crab Island, where both British and American soldiers from the Battle of Plattsburgh, which occurred on September 11, 1814, are buried. In 2017, Town of Plattsburgh Supervisor Michael Cashman was approached with an idea to honor veterans, and town planners began working with the American Legion on concept plans for a veterans memorial park. We wanted a multi-generational space that would be an opportunity to get close to the battlefield that occurred right here on Lake Champlain and also a place where people could use it as a jumping off point to many other locations within the greater Plattsburgh region and the North Country. Democratic State Assemblyman D. Billy Jones secured an initial $250,000 grant for the project. The project then received an American Battlefield Protection Grant and has received additional grants and private donations. Cashman says that has moved the project into a new phase. We owe it to these men and women who give everything in service to our country to continue to recognize them. The big objective of this park is to have it operational by 2026 which is the 250th anniversary of our great nation. And we are really excited to announce that we are going to start with phase one of construction. We are now at a point where dozers and shovels will be on site and this will become active in the spring. 
Friends of Crab Island member and Sons of the American Legion member John Rock was the person who came to Supervisor Cashman with the initial idea. This place is hollowed ground. As you look out right behind us to Crab Island, the War of 1812, is where Commodore McDonough fought the decisive battle that finally freed us. And this is a corridor and, a, and an area that our freedoms for our new country was actually born. And that's why this is such hollow ground in this part. On one of our viewing areas over here, you'll be able to look out over the battlefield where Commodore McDonough fought, as well as looking down the lake south to the Battle of Valcor, which was a very important battle. So this is a very special place and it's going to be a very special place. We have very, very strong ties with our veterans in this North Country. Not only Plattsburgh Air Force Base, from 1776, every various war, conflicts, and everything else that this country has been involved in. Clinton County American Legion Commander Joe Patnode says the park will also honor future veterans. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for the history of this area and to keep the history up on the, of what's happened throughout time and we're also going to include our future veterans that will be coming in to whatever we may need them for, you know, any battles or whatever we may come into. Rock believes the new park will become a place where people will learn about critical battles in the nation's early history. This is going to end up being a destination area for New York State and all of the rest of the country for people to finally come and hear the story of what has really taken place here. We've sent so many representatives of veterans to every war from 1776 right on up to now. Members of the American Legion are already clearing parts of the property in advance of construction. The Legion is the fundraising arm of the project, while the town of Plattsburgh is the grant facilitator. The Battlefield Memorial Gateway Park will be built in three phases and is expected to be completed in 2026. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2246. Or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.